What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is young boy Pat Sheehan, never going to be broke ever, ever, ever. I'm here with my co-host Dave, broke boy all the time. What's going on, man? Uh, they call me Dave Duneworm. You know, we, we eating out here, eating those Travis Scott burgers. What's up? <laughs> it's lit, dog. Uh, make it lit. I saw so many videos of people ordering that. Yeah. You know why I'm here, bro. Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, I wanted to ask you, Dave. You, you brought up Dune. Trailer dropped last week. I'm just going to say, trailer's fucking sick. Great. Can't mm-hmm. wait for it. The, the, we, we knew that this was going to be the way it was. Um, you, however, just came back from like the Dune of the United States. How are you feeling? We wrote our 2049, the Bay Area. For real. How was your trip? That was good, man. Unique experience to... Uh be in unhealthy air the unhealthiest air in the world at the time uh pretty wild watched the french connection on the plane ride back i've never seen that before gene hackman a boss as you expect um also a lot of other stuff too i watched train to busan on netflix really awesome zombie thriller not not a horror movie just like a zombie action movie that shit's great it has um shui wushik from parasite co-starring really recommend that um yeah good times even though uh my uh lungs didn't enjoy it nearly as much <laughs> i mean the pictures were incredible for a very sad surreal. reason um yeah definitely surreal um america definitely super great no no you know everything's fine gift mm-hmm. for real but uh why don't we talk about some things that maybe uh, will take us away from thinking about all these existential threats that face our planet right now. Um, we're going to do a little bit of music, a little bit of TV, a little bit of movies, and even some more TV at the end as we talk about the Emmys, which stuck up on me this year. But when we start with Young Boy, Never Broke Again, Young Boy NBA, with his, I don't know, what album number is this? Top. This is, he has a lot of albums, dude. So this is his, technically, it's, this is called his second album. And that would be his second album alongside his 16 mixtapes. Yeah, sure. Uh, this okay. is his fourth project in the last year. Three mixtapes and an album. But they're all the same. They're all full-length projects, you know, fully produced. And they all kind of get treated with the same, uh, you know, uh, attention from his fans, right? This, this is going to go number one. This will be his third number one among those four projects. The other one went number two. Like, he's, he's, a, he's a big force. So... Second album two, like I think that's hilarious. I don't think anyone would think of this as his second album. Yeah, no, definitely not. And at least I wouldn't. In looking at this long list of what's called albums on Spotify, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> you know, pop this this most recent album, second album, very long. It's about an hour long. I gotta be honest, Dave could only get about thirty minutes through. Um, did not find this particularly good. Um, felt like he was trying to almost do like an impersonation i feel like of a lot of other artists and kind of like yeah we've we've mentioned the word like chameleon be a chameleon before it feels like he kind of just tries to like take things and blend in and and i'm i'm amazed more so that he just has this rabid fan base dog like Mm. this this shit's gonna go number one it's insane yeah and the thing about his rabid fan base, I think, is very unique, is that he is the king of YouTube. 
you know, he's like, what, like 13, right now he's about 13 and a half million monthly listeners on Spotify. Very good number, but not superstar. But the past month, every single week, he has been the top artist on YouTube. That's leading up to this new project. He gets like 45 million YouTube streams a week. Like, it's insane. And he, he did this like m- most of 2019. He was the most streamed artist on YouTube then too. And it's just kind of interesting to see a guy who maybe it's, it's due to his fan base being young and not being able to afford Spotify subscriptions or just the accessibility of YouTube. I'm, I'm not really sure what it is. It's tough to narrow that down. But he is the YouTube king, and it definitely helps with his output. You know, he puts out a lot of music, and everything he puts out gets viciously consumed by his fans. You know, he's got, I think, a dozen videos with 100 million views in the last, like, two years or something. Absurd like that, you know? So it's like he's matching volume with pop, uh, popular consumption. It's, just, it's pretty interesting. Um, but, yeah, I figured we, we would talk about him today just because there was a, wasn't much other music. Like, you talk about Top, we could have talked about 38 Baby 2 or Still Flex and Still Steppin', the other two that came out this year. I feel like my thoughts around NBA Youngboy haven't changed in a while. But, you know, he's this popular guy, and he kind of brings you, what, like that, that street pain with, like, a southern mm-hmm. drawl, right, as a guy from Baton Rouge. Like, that comes yeah. across. And I think sometimes you get kind of like that, like, leaned out, Codeine sound that you expect of someone like Future, you can definitely see the parallels with with that. Um, he's featured on the Future album Trillionaire. It's a pretty good combo. I think they kind of do a lot of the same things. But if you listen to the pod, you know that me and Pat generally aren't the biggest Future fans, right? Like I think Future has highs, but he also has a lot of low points. And I think a guy like Young Boy, who like Future, has a lot of music out. There's just gonna be duds, right? And I don't I don't really connect with a lot of his like like lyrical stuff like and I, I think he's he's a he's a good rapper you know he's not like a mumble rapper but yeah he you know like on this album top what he gets pretty introspective towards the end on like to my lowest but like it just doesn't really hit for me when i've already heard like 16 other tracks you know i'm more a fan of like his kind of like banger stuff and he usually has one or two of those a project he usually has a song or two i like every project and he's had good features right yeah his song mm-hmm. with juice world bandit was a really big hit that song goes but enter i've never once viewed him as a project artist and you also don't help yourself when you got like 20 20 songs deep on any of these projects so i get the appeal but um he's definitely less is more for me yeah and and i think maybe that's why youtube feels like such a perfect platform for him right he's like picking out the perfect songs to be making the videos to he has i think he has a great name um you know like yeah. you you can condense it down to young boy nba or never broke again and i feel like that really connects um probably with younger people a little bit more so than old older school hip-hop fans and then there's also i think just the aspect that um he obviously knows how to like just be famous. Like he knows how to like keep these numbers up. Um, these long albums, I'm sure he knows that these songs aren't necessarily all going to be, uh, you know, grabbing critical acclaim, but he's like, get those numbers up. That's what the game is all about now. So in a lot of ways, he knows exactly what he's doing. I give him a ton of credit for that because I mean, if you're making pretty mid music to be able to find ways to really like make yourself pop and stand out, can be difficult but he's obviously figured out the the game so shout out right to 
And I think people are just interested in him too, because unlike someone like six nine who just trolls and actively right. seeks attention, and be a young boy like genuinely is controversial, right? He's had lots of legal issues. He has a million kids. You know, he has fights with his ex girlfriend, sometimes violent. Right? Like he he has a troubled past, and uh, he he's openly talked about how he struggles to uh, you know escape uh, what awaits him back home and stuff like that, and. Um, I think people like seeing that from him. He's pretty open about what his life is. So I think Joe, he was interested in him and that probably leads to the music as well. So, yeah, I mean, I expect this album is, they're saying this might be his biggest album to date um, in terms of first week sales. So um, I, I'm, I want to hear more features from him. I was looking and I actually realized he doesn't do as many features as I thought, but like he had the one on a uh, Baby's album this year. Mm-hmm. Um, jump. I thought that was really good. I think he he and um a few years back with uh, Little Yachty, NBA Youngboat. I like. I, I think he he can really burst in with a great sense of energy on guest spots. So I want to see more of those. Well, we move on to a much different artist, Nikki, dropping not her second but her first debut album from uh, eighty eight Rising. Oh, Nikki yeah. is uh, yeah, the singer, pop star. Uh, you know, we've, we've been fans of the 88 rising output for the most part. I mean, obviously we're, we're waiting for that, that Joji album. We just listened yeah. to the rich Brian EP. Um, mm-hmm. we talked about black pink. We talked about, I don't know. Black Pink's not, not yeah, not 88 rising. They're Asian, right. though. Yes. So that, that's racist by me. I call myself out. I apologize. Um, but just kind of circling back. I think the 88 rising up has been really, really good to date and um, seems to be a, a musical group or production company that we're really tuned into. I guess, uh, how would you describe 88 rising? Are they a group? Yeah. Like, it's a, it's like a label slash media company. Like they do all right. their, I think they have distribution deals with, with a, one of the major labels. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall it's, it's kind of like a talent incubator as well. Um, the founder, right. I forget his name. Um, kind of started it to uh, highlight Asian artists and um, help give them the opportunities that they often are lacking in Mm -hmm. the mainstream music industry. And I think AD Rising has been a uh, huge success in that regard. And the founder would be uh, Sean uh, Miyashiro, who just had a little piece in the New York Times. You can read more about him there. And I mean, think about Rich Brian, think about Joji, the biggest stars of the label, right? And I think even look at someone like Joji, Joji, I think is gotten way bigger than I thought he would too. Like that song, like give me love is a bit of a TikTok mm-hmm. song. Right. But um, finding a way for higher brothers to somehow transcend being guys that are not abashed to the fact that they are super Chinese and they make exactly. music that in Chinese and yet they, they're finding an audience in the West too. Right. And then you kind of have Nikki who was, was not nearly as hyped up um, on a rising despite being signed to the label for several years already. I didn't really have her on my radar at all until last year on Head in the Clouds 2, the uh, mm-hmm. group album on that song, Indigo, where I thought she just yeah. really stole the show on that. It was a solo ch- solo song and kind of an interesting reference point for a lot of the stuff on this debut album, Moonchild. Yeah, and Moonchild, I feel like, has some really great standout moments. But I think overall, what's, what I take away from it is it's very very much about the feel it's very much about the the spaciness the ambiance um and i think at times can feel a little bit samey and i think 
Nikki's delivery can feel a little bit samey, but that still doesn't take away from the fact that I think there's a couple songs on here which are just certified great songs. Um, what what are your like general thoughts on Moonchild? And we'll maybe dissect the songs a little further. Yeah, I guess you're right about sameness. I think there's some interesting production choices that do vary throughout this, but I was most wowed by her vocals and like the vocal choices on this. Like it's like the first track, wide open. You have kind of like that call and response part where she's like, good grief. Mm. Like really like in, in your ears, in your headphones. And that kind of reminded me of like what she did on Indigo on Head in the Clouds too, where she's like, you know, I'm your type. Pause. Right? You know, like <laughs> yeah. there's just lots of like, cool vocal choices. And sometimes the, the vocals would be like overdubbed uh, in post and stuff. And uh, even if, uh, you know, I, I, think it, I think it sounds pretty cohesive, but mm-hmm. um I agree. You know, and there's, there's slower stuff later on in the track list. But I think, yeah, I takeaway is definitely that there's a lot of highlights. And Nikki is definitely a, a full-fledged artist, which is really cool. For sure. Um, uh, you know, one of the things that when I first listened to the album, I was like, yeah, I feel like we'd heard a similar production style before. And I think when I was looking back, it probably is off Rich Brian's The Sailor from a couple of years back was that even last year last year yeah last, last year july and i think there there's a lot of like similar production flares and that sort of thing in there you know like a couple of like uh you know horns horn sections put into places that really stand out like um i think it's on celine there's like a, yeah, a horn that comes in near the middle and celine probably my favorite song on the whole album very just, groovy yes definitely and that that that's just more of like what i like personally but the yeah. song right before it uh, Night Night Growler was also a, a Night great song. Night Night Crawler, sorry, I don't know why I said Night. I was looking at it too. Um, Night <laughs> Night Crawlers, I thought was like a just a fantastic um, song, and a little bit more like um, uh, Boom Bappy, I guess. Like it was a little bit more like bump, yeah. bump, like like that. Like Closest a, to hip hop on the track list for sure. Um, after that, though, I feel like the second half, I was a little bit. Uh, not not as impressed by a little bit of sameness came in, but overall, I think like you said, that cohesiveness just really stands out. That there's a vision with this. Um, don't know if it totally executed correctly, but um, definitely, I think uh, quality all throughout. Mm-hmm. What song stood out to you? Yeah, I like Celine a lot. I like Nightcrawler. Also like Switchblade track two. Mm-hmm. I think really, yeah, that that first half of the album is definitely the stronger half to me. Um, you have a song like Lose at the end definitely like a pure ballad song i think that's very well done but not i don't i don't like that more than i like stuff like celine that's just my personal taste but Luz does seem to be gaining traction for her so i can understand why that's popular and i think it is well done um yeah i mean for me it was like the vocal effects the production choices impressed because i didn't expect that much into this you know for any kind of like r&b or like a light pop stuff you usually don't expect all that kind of stuff, but there were, there were moments where the vocals kind of reminded me of like Charlie XCX choices and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you're even attempting to do that, that speaks well of you and your artistic intentions. So I was yeah. definitely into it. Definitely agree. Um, I think the other thing I would just say is while I think she has a really strong voice, I don't like my initial in hearing her sing with someone like um, Ariana, right? But she doesn't. Mm. She just doesn't have that like high range. She goes like yes. a bit like falsettoy, but just doesn't have that like really overpowering voice. So I think where her success is going to lie is in kind of what you talked about 
pairing of vocal delivery and, and the, the range of vocals that she can do around um, her own unique artistic sonic sound. So um, definitely, uh, I think, a, a great first album for her and looking forward to hearing more from Nikki moving forward. Why don't we jump to some TV, though, as we basically are going to be on HBO for the next three uh, three sections of the pod, starting with We Are Who We Are from Francesca. Oh, gosh, I feel like I'm not going to say this name right. <laughs> Man- Man- Manuary, is that, is that correct? Francesca Manieri and mm-hmm. Luca Guadagnino, which is, there you go. That, that's the name right there. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, we've we've talked about Luca um, a couple of times on the pod, but I think most notably for "Call Me by Your Name," yes, sir. Um, which go check out that review if you haven't. Uh, definitely a, a one of our, our, our strongest, I'd say, in terms of breaking movies down. It's our most watched, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And even better with this this new HBO show. My guy Dev Hines is composing this, Dave. Dev Hines from Blood Orange, one of mm-hmm. my favorite artists of the last couple of years. And I, I think these two together make a lot of sense to me. Because when I think about both of them, I think about very unique artists in their own respects, right? Luca yeah. has a very specific artistic style, storytelling beats. Like he's just a very, he's a distinct director. And Dev Hines, also a very distinct composer, and musical artists and this show definitely has a very distinct feel yeah 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 uh i mean the obvious comparisons when you have a, a television show set in italy following a teenage boy <laughs> from luca guanino is of course calling by your name those comparisons are obvious and <laughs> honestly if you squint and look at uh dylan grazer you can see a little bit of chalamet too they're kind of a similar face. It's kind of uncanny. But <laughs> and then you think about Dev Hines, right? And the musical choices. In this first episode, there are some distinct musical drops, notable songs. This show is taking place specifically in 2016. So you kind of have that frame of reference that that become more clear later on from what I understand. But a Kanye West Devil in the Dress drop, right? Action uh-huh. Bronson in the showers. Uh, Chance the Rapper, same drugs. I think it really choice. Yeah. Um, drop there reminds you a lot of call me by your name really distinct musical drops the psychedelic furs when army hammers dancing mm-hmm. and of course those two suffragette stevens songs mystery yeah. of love and uh tales of gideon or whatever visions of gideon mm-hmm. right uh it feels like luca making a movie that's eight hours long it's kind of he's kind of doing his little Nino things and that's really cool and i'm very interested to see what happens because I think this first episode of We Are Who We Are is intentionally ambiguous in a lot of ways. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, our lead character, I think we're going to, by all counts, we're going to be exploring uh, his coming of age, his sexuality. Is he gay? Apparently the show isn't going to be super clear about that. Or is he bi? Who knows, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the other character that he's going to come across with. Trans? Not sure, right? Am- ambiguity is like the name of this show. And I think that's just really interesting to me. Um, I don't love our lead protagonist as a presence at the moment. Dude's like an a- aimless teenager uh, in a new new world finding himself. Uh, that's not a new idea, but it's tough for me sometimes when the kid's like a prick. <laughs> and this kid was kind of disrespectful on this first episode. I'm sure that that'll change and not be the point 
uh, in short order. But I was like, man, this kid kind of sucks right now. So that, 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 that was uh, keeping me down. But you can see the style. You can see the um, specific artistic choices from Luca already in one episode. So I'm very interested to see what's next. Yeah, the, the key scene for me feels like it was the scene where uh, Fraser, after kind of wandering around all day, sitting in his kitchen, he had just been, I think, patched up by his uh, his mother's, is it girlfriend, fiance? I'm not Wife, sure. I think. Wife, okay. Yeah. Um, and he's sitting there with his mom, and she's about to cut that, whatever that was. It was like a, I don't even remember what the food was, but he like slaps her for not cutting it. Right. Um, thin enough and then they end up having like a kind of a fight and kind of not a fight but the heart of this show i think is uh like you mentioned that ambiguity but also like that um that sense of like loss and you like how you like take that loss or like that lack of a uh, solid base in a lot of senses and you try to cope with that and it seems like they cope with that by like finding each other you know these these teenagers on, on this army base but also i think they end up like finding themselves within this like mm-hmm. what does it mean and i think that's the thing is like you have fraser you have uh jordan christine seaman who plays caitlin uh, francesca scorsese plays Brittany, uh daughter of martin scorsese very interesting um, oh is that right oh, yeah that. uh and, and i think it's like helen helen moore or something like that um but anyways um they all seem to have like their own stuff that they're dealing with as, you know, being children on this army base. And I think as they kind of go through this story, it's going to be more about how by finding each other, they find themselves kind of like that, you know, cliche trope. The really interesting piece of all this to me is it seems like it's also going to be pulling in some really adult, um, I don't want to say adult themes because obviously the whole thing is adult theme, but more so like, it was interesting when uh, his mom, Sarah, who plays Sarah, um, mm-hmm. uh, Chloe, Chloe, Chloe me, Seveny, um, yeah. when she is having that ceremony where she takes over like the base, uh, you know, command of the base, and the the colonel is like, we had two suicides, twenty seven whatevers, and like uh, another horrible thing that happened last year. Good luck, you know, and like it, it seems like that's going to kind of be like this overtone to all this is like yeah. these like issues that these people in the army have and like how dysfunctional these people on this base actually can be at times, which I think is really interesting, almost kind of like a microcosm of like the United States and another country. So I think it's a cool setting, interesting plot line. Like you mentioned, it's another like potential call me by your name type show. Um, that's also going to be pulling in, I think some, political and social commentary about the United States that um, right. seems seems well thought out. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Kid Cudi's presence on this. Uh, really? What the, from what, Well, from what the reviews are saying, his presence on the show is as someone who isn't a fan of having a lesbian boss as a fellow military mm. man. And also, I believe there's a scene where he gets MAGA hats uh, delivered to the base because, again, this is set in 2016. That'll become more clear. Um, but just because, like, Cudi... Cuddy did not elevate Westworld season three the way we hoped. So I'm no. just hoping this hits a little better. That's all. <laughs> did anybody elevate Westworld season three? Dave? Aaron Paul did not either. No. We have a lot of <laughs> Westworld thoughts. Check those out because yeah. golly, that just sucks. Yeah. If you want to hear us like 
put a lot of praise on something, go listen to Call Me By Your Name review and then go to the Westworld season one and two uh, end reviews and you'll get a very different look at us. <laughs> um, any like any moments, and you mentioned the musical drafts, but any like moments from the first episode that really stood out? Um, I think it's really stark uh, and to see that shower scene, right? Yeah. Luke is like, yeah, we got all these uh, cut soldiers. Here they are nude. Yep. And it actually makes sense for the character from what we understand is going to continue to happen. I think the mm-hmm. beach scene also is pretty memorable. Just kind of watching this kid yeah. get low-key, not low-key, openly picked on and stuff. And But like all, all, the, all these moments where Frazier is just like, like vibing out, right? And it's like mm-hmm. he's just chugging the wine, throwing the shit in the streets. Like, man. He's uh he he's these kid seems kind of lost too. But then you have like that brief moment when he's talking to those uh uh seamstress people, and he's like, "Yo, you know Raph Simmons?" It's like, man, <laughs> yep, this is a neat, this is a rich kid from New York, right? Not rich yep. kid, but you know, uh, privileged kid. It's pretty sure. funny. Um, so yeah, I, for me, it's just the the the, all, the whole vibe really of when he's yeah. kind of walking around by himself, or you know, with Scorsese's daughter, and Luca just kind of gets to shoot it in the way he likes to do things where it's really like uh sensationalized and uh vibey so yeah no i agree that's my favorite part no i agree and just luca's um you know camera work is very intriguing and interesting and the way he just blends it all together just it's a it's even though you don't really love i think any of the characters yet it's still a a fun hang for the most part and an interesting hang so something i'm looking forward to watching more of any last thoughts before we move on to uh, another HBO show? Uh, no. Um, looking forward to it. Yeah, it's kind of cool that this is just another show HBO has to put out. You know, they I feel like they've been delivering all year, you know. And like there's Sunday nights so packed right now that this is on Monday, you know. Crazy. Uh, from, from one of our guys, Luca, to another one of our guys, Jude Law. Not, oh, yeah. not, not sex pope, though. We're talking HBO, but we're not talking the new pope. Um, <laughs> we are talking the third day, which, boy, uh, you want to talk about like a sense of like a- ambiguity you mentioned in the last one. I-, I think this is maybe a little bit less ambiguous in terms of direction, but in terms of weirdness, I think these two shows kind of go toe-to-toe because I finished the first episode of the third day, and I was... I felt like I needed to like take a bath. I needed to uh, like write a book about this. There's so much that goes on in this episode and I'm feeling a little bit lost, Dave. How are you feeling after the first episode? Do you know where we're going? Yeah. So we are who we are. It feels familiar from a directorial standpoint with the vibes, yes. right? The third day uh, in which the first scene uh, Jude Law says, we are where we are. thought that was funny. <laughs> uh, the third day feels familiar for its uh, like setting and trappings and mysterious nature. I, a lot of this reminded me of other stuff. Mm-hmm. And I guess in a similar vein, my sense of confusion to the direction and where we're going with this journey, uh, that also felt familiar. So... I think if there's something I would latch on to right now, it's probably Jude Law's acting, which is kind of the reason I'm here in the first place, right? But yeah, I mean, I got some, I got some Midsommar vibes. You know, yeah. Wicker Man is a common comparison people are making as well. So it's like, 
I can already kind of guess what might happen, but we're on what? Mysterious Island. Lead protagonist doesn't know what's happening. Uh, the people he encounters keeping their cards close to their chest. Okay, we know what this is like. Yep. Yeah, no, that, that that's a good point. I think if you were, uh, the ones you mentioned, the Wicker Man, uh, Midsommar, are good comparisons for this because Jude Law, by uh, every every thing we can gather, seems to be a, a figure within this this world. It looks like, a, you know, set in what, Britain, or I guess on like an island off the coast. Essex, um, England, east of London. And he's this uh, figure who is basically like, uh, it seems like pretty controversial, maybe not so liked by the public. He's uh, experiencing some sort of crisis where he's being robbed uh, at the beginning of this uh, via, uh, you know, remote, wherever he was, 40,000 pounds have been taken from him. Yeah, from his like uh, office or whatever. Yeah, and he is wandering through the woods and sees a little girl hang herself. What you got to say, um, if, if they wanted to get my attention, seeing this girl attempt to hang herself definitely woke me up, uh, tuned me in. Uh, quite startling and off-putting, for sure. I'm, I'm glad she survived, but kind of leads Jude Law to bring her home, and now it was kind of stuck at this inn on this island where people are not such fans of him or some people are uh, we don't really know why yeah. though that's <laughs> the thing is that i'm very i'm very intrigued about that i just want to know why they don't like him i don't know if we'll find that out right away though it seems like we're probably going to wait on that yeah and right so i mean we, we, we don't we don't know a whole lot through one episode but what we do know is that this six episode limited series is broken up into two distinct parts two distinct stories on this osea island uh, this first half is called uh, Summer with Jude, of course. And then we're going to get three more episodes with Naomi Harris as the lead protagonist called Winter. Oh, yeah. And then after this is done, apparently there's like a seventh pseudo episode, which is like a live experience stream thing. It's kind of unclear what exactly it is. It's not a traditional episode of TV. So uh, that's interesting. But yeah, I mean... Through one episode, I was kind of thinking, I was like, hmm, this doesn't seem as straightforward narrative-wise as, like, The Outsider was, you know, mm-hmm. seven months ago. But the vibes are still familiar, and I don't know if that's enough. I'm going to still keep, I'm going to finish it, but, like, it, it, it was just kind of weird to, like, have that moment. Like, we're in the bar, right? And, like, the whole, the whole town's getting fucked up, and Jude's like, okay, cool, I'll do this, too. Yeah, I still didn't really know what was going on, right? So, yeah, I, I just got to see more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what else to say? if if we finish, I know this much is true. We're going to finish this, you know, like yeah, it's <laughs> a lot, lot more interesting. Yeah, like self-flagellation. <laughs> this isn't that. People really did not like us saying that either. Um, <laughs> you know, I I think what I'm most like taken by in all of this is just like, the way that it almost like made me feel off kilter, almost like it was like I couldn't get a grasp of where things were in the show. And I yes. think that's supposed to like mimic that experience. Disorienting. That loss. Yeah, that disorientation. Good word. So um, I, I do think that's good. And I, I'm intrigued by like the structure of it, like you mentioned. So lot, lot to be intrigued by. I don't know if it's good yet, but a lot to be intrigued right. by for sure. One last note. 
we got no boats on this island. You only can drive on the causeway. Like, there's no boats. Like, yeah. did I miss a line or something? Like, Jude can't just get a boat and get home. <laughs> like, what the hell? Uh, also, apparently, no phone service after a while, which they at least try to explain that with the guys, uh, you know, fixing the lines and stuff. But it's fun. This is a real island, you know, this, with the Crazy. tides and stuff. Osea Island. So, has a very um, nice website I always link to. Look, 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 looks pretty pleasant. <laughs> But I don't think Jude's going to have a pleasant time in the show. I don't think so either. Um, why don't we move on to another HBO movie this time? Unpregnant. Oh, yeah. Um, from Rachel Lee Goldenberg, starring Barbie Ferrara from uh, Euphoria, mm-hmm. Haley Lou Richardson. Um, I guess the, the, those are like the main two, right? And then yep. you have Giancarlo Esposito jumping in a couple of times, Brecken Meyer out of the clouds. So definitely some interesting pieces going on here. I mean, the obvious, I think, comparison for movies we talked about this year is this is the lighter version of Never, Maybe, Sometimes, Always. Um, never, Rarely. Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, you know movie about... Uh, young girl who seeks an abortion in new york city from i believe it was ohio uh underage so she wanted to go yeah. somewhere where she didn't need her parents approval same pretty much the same exact uh plot here where the main character needs to go get an abortion brings a friend along but this time there's some zany adventures that kind of right. lead them back together as friends so it's a lot more lighthearted than never really sometimes always i was i'm wondering because we liked never really sometimes always did you yeah. like unpregnant as much as that not as much uh i like both i think never really sometimes always just kind of you know live from a lot of hitman just really excellently well done it's a difficult subject and it's handled with a lot of grace and mm-hmm. that lead performance is really strong and carries the film and you know unpregnant does not have that those same goals like you said yeah crossing state lines to get an abortion because the powers that be require you to do that is basically the same, but this is, you know, a buddy comedy as a result. And there are some heavier moments uh, regarding the abortion of it all, but it's not nearly as a driving force in this way, this movie, the way it is and never is sometimes always. So Unpregnant though did feel kind of like a perfect movie at home and streaming. Like it's a really well done streaming film. This was made by uh, that Warner Max film label specifically for HBO Max. And uh, this felt like a good home. And I think it's a really, really pleasantly enjoyable movie. You have two good leads, two actors people like. And it, it doesn't kind of like go off the rails. You know, it doesn't get super preachy about anything at the end, right? It doesn't go in any one direction. It felt consistent to me. I'm pregnant. So. I still like in that regard, but I think never sometimes always sets a higher bar for itself and achieves that. So it depends what you're looking for. Uh, totally agree. Um, I think this is still an enjoyable movie. Um, I, I don't know if it's one that I would find myself going back to, but I do think there's some fun moments within this. And, and I think also some moments where you end up like cheering them on and really rooting for this friendship to come about. Right. Um, you know, like I, I think to the scene where, um, Barbie Ferrara's character uh, goes to visit her dad, right? And yeah. um, 
uh, Veronica shows up and confronts the dad and kind of tells him off. And it's kind of like this coming around moment where the, their friendship is kind of solidified again as uh, Veronica sticks up for Bailey. I just felt like um, those moments and the funny moments were uh, maybe a little too sparse. Like I think there was a lot of like moments that I didn't really connect with as well or um, didn't find super interesting. But for for a, a HBO film that I got to watch from my home, I, I think that this is a solid film. Like this is better than most of the Netflix movies we, we review, in my opinion. Yes. Um, any moments? Any any like anything from the movie that really stood out to you? Um, any performances, maybe? Yeah, yeah, I got some notes, but Haley Richardson, I think, is an actor that everyone really likes. You know. Columbus back in 2016 so long ago at this point but that was a big breakout for her she'll be reuniting with the director Kogata later in the year with After Yang which is a 24 film that's waiting for release at this point um and I also really liked her in support of the girl in 2018 and this mm-hmm. movie I think it does kind of play to her strength she's just a really charismatic screen presence kind of mm-hmm. always right and also seemed astutely cast as this kind of like you know <laughs> what good girl smart girl going to brown in the fall high school senior right like it made sense as, as a piece mm-hmm. of casting but i've always just really liked her and i've been looking forward to you know more and more roles from her um, i think her biggest hit to date would be five feet apart that movie she has a cole sprouse where they both have like uh i believe it's cystic fibrosis in the mm. hospital it's like one of those like romantic drama movies that's her biggest hit not exactly what i'm looking for though so i'm really hoping after yang uh scratches that itch in terms of just yeah. you know top level movies but i think she i think she's uh she's really good and barbie Ferrer, i think this is her first film role because mm-hmm. she's a new actor right she was modeling before she came to euphoria but i thought they were both really good and the chemistry that buddy chemistry um, you know, you know they're gonna rekindle their friendship throughout the movie. There's, there's no real surprises with this narrative. You can kind of pick out the beats, but uh, I think the movie still works because you know they give two good performances and play off each other well. Yeah, I I agree. I think their chemistry is really good, and I also felt like the reason that they kind of grew apart makes a lot of sense for the characters, which is something that I think in these mm-hmm. movies sometimes I don't totally connect with. It's yeah, like one. Drive yeah one person became alternative and the other one was good at school so they just couldn't you know be in the same friend group anymore but the fact that Haley Haley Lou Richardson as you can see when she kind of finds out that Bailey's uh, family is falling apart with her dad wanting to leave uh, her mom um, not only I think felt like she couldn't be there for Bailey as she kind of went through all that but it's such a normal like teenager slash middle school kid thing to say to be like you just got really weird and like i didn't want to like be there for you i was like okay you know what that makes sense and like i i i buy that because i think that's a little bit more makes more sense for that age than like when they give it a really really deep like yeah meeting behind it so i i felt like that fit for the movie and the tone um there were a couple like i mentioned breckin meyer gene carlo esposito a couple of big name cameos any that you really liked uh Esposito definitely came out of left field for me. Didn't yeah. expect him to just to be in this movie in kind of a, a bit role. But I did like the one use of him where um, you have this Kelly Clarkson uh, drop earlier mm-hmm. in the movie. There's a callback to that. And then later on, after the callback, 
you see that brief moment of Esposito's character Bob like humming the tune once mm-hmm. again. Like, I thought that was really funny. And I thought it was nice that he got to be someone other than Gus Fring. Like, <laughs> you know, um, even in The Boys, I feel like his character a lot of times is just like the government Gus Fring in a way. And to see him just kind of be this like goofy, like yeah. nut basically Doomsday was just Brecken really nice. Exactly. I thought that was really nice. Um, and Brecken Meyer, I mean, like I said, that guy, I don't know what he's been up to. Maybe he's been in like TV shows that I'm not watching on, on you know, like TNT or something, but to see him like pop up as this pro-life religious nut and who's kind of gives this like creepy, creepy vibe. Um, I thought that was actually uh, interesting turn for him and i thought that was kind of a, a fun cameo as well yeah for sure um i also did things that stood out to me when uh bailey is in the fun house you know when mm. she's with the race car driver you have this really obvious use of the quote bisexual lighting the blues and the pinks it's like well we, we already know she's gay or bi because mm-hmm. she talked about that right so I was like, just kind of funny to me. Usually that, that kind of lighting is used like in a more subtle way. Like you think of something like a moonlight. So it's kind of funny to me to see it there. Also, at no point in that funhouse scene does anyone come up behind them uh, in the funhouse, yeah. which is totally unrealistic that no totally one else is in the funhouse. Also, how there. old is that race car driver? She looked like she was like in her 30s. No offense to her. She might be younger, yes. but she looked so much older than Bailey, I think was is my point really. Yep. That it just point. was a little bit like off I'll also say, that Haley Lou's hair stayed like ridiculously unnaturally curly for like <laughs> the first half of the movie. That's a thing in TV and movies right now where the, the lead uh, female protagonist always has curly hair. It's never straight. I just thought it was funny because I was like, wow, they, they redid that hair for this scene. She literally woke up the next day and the hair is still perfectly curled. Just a, it's just a funny touch. Dave, bring in, bring in the hair takes to now <laughs> this week. Any last thoughts? Um, I saw some comps to Superbad and Booksmart and stuff, and I think the, you know the the chemistry between the two, sure. you know, leads. You can see the comparisons, but I think both those movies, the antics, the jokes, are just at a different level than this movie. Mm-hmm. Well, Dave, it's time to do it. It's time to talk about the Emmys, which kind of crazy that they're this weekend. I uh, could have sworn that they just dropped the nominations a uh, couple. Mm-hmm. weeks ago so the fact that we're all here is this is interesting we're gonna go just through the major categories actor actress and uh limited series slash movie comedy comedy and drama um so why don't we start with outstanding lead actress in a limited series or movie we got kate blanchett for mrs america shira haas for unorthodox regina king watchman Octavia Spencer, self-made, and Carrie Washington for Little Fires Everywhere. Dave, out of these five, you've seen two? Uh, that's correct. I do want to watch Unorthodox. That's a German uh, limited series on Netflix that everyone really loves. And I think this, that was a really inspired show to get some nominations in the limited series category. So I want to see that. But yeah, I've only seen Watchmen and Miss America. Believe it or not, I actually have seen a couple episodes of unorthodox as julianne watched it and really liked it um i think this this category is pretty obvious though i think while kate blanchett 
And I would say even Shira Haas, from what I saw, gave really strong performances. This, this is Regina King, man. I mean, she's already decorated, has won a ton of awards in the past from an Oscar mm-hmm. to an Emmy. And Watchmen, I think, is going to have a really good night. Yeah, th- this would be her third Emmy win in five years. Uh, three different roles at that. Really impressive. But also Watchmen is the most nominated show of the night. 26 nominations. So you have to think one of the top ones is going to go Watchmen's way. So people like Regina King, that's quite obvious. It's also a very well-deserved win. Um, I would love Kate Blanchett to win. I really thought her transformative performance as Phyllis Schlafly is really memorable and important to Mrs. America's success. But I mean, you can't argue with King. And yeah. looking forward to that win because that would be her most notable Emmy win today. Like her other two wins and was it American Crime and uh, Seven Seconds, not nearly as memorable roles. So no, uh, I would like to see this for Watchmen. Uh, I think I think King saying get it, but if not, it's probably going to be Blanchett between those two to me. But why don't we jump to Outstanding Lead Actor in a Limited Series? This one, I think, is a little bit more difficult to parse out. We have Jeremy Irons for Watchmen, Hugh Jackman for Bad Education, Paul Mescal for Normal People, Jeremy Pope for Hollywood, and Mark Ruffalo for I Know This Much Is True, which we've seen all of these. So we can have a a bit more of an informed opinion about this. Good point. Yes, we have. Uh, You know, looking through this list, it's hard for me to not lean towards our guy Paul Mescal from Normal People. I want it so bad. I don't think he's going to get it. That's the thing. Who who are you going with? Yeah, Normal People didn't get a whole lot. Uh, Daisy Edgar-Jones not nominated alongside Paul. Mm -hmm. Love Paul to win. But it's probably Mark Ruffalo, right? I know as much as true was made to win an Emmy for Ruffalo and little else. And he got nominated. And it's an actor's per- performance, right? Dual roles, really showy of uh, second role, right? Like it all makes sense, but it's also not a well, it's not, it's not well liked that this was not a well received limited series. So, well, but then you think of something like Jeremy Pope, right? Like Jeremy Pope, in a sense, I think this is an inspired nomination yeah. because Pope kind of elevates that role. Like Hollywood, I found Hollywood entertaining, but it, like a lot of Ryan Murphy productions, it is lacking in, in subtlety and quality writing. So Pope, in a sense, kind of went above and beyond hit the show and role he was given. So, but at the same time, that's another show that also got a pretty mixed to negative receptions. It's like, I, I feel like no one would complain if Paul won, Paul Mescal won. You know, the star-making performance that everyone was talking about in April. But... I think it's probably Ruffalo. I think it's probably Ruffalo too, but I I think this category is actually wide open. Um, Ruffalo probably has the edge, but I think anyone that they choose this category has uh, an argument to make. Like we didn't even mention Jeremy Irons, who might have some of the most memorable moments yeah, from Watchmen. Um, is Ozzy Mendias? We have. Hugh Jackman, who mm-hmm. we talked about how excellent he was and really kind of like almost a comeback role in a sense for him after he's played some yeah. uninspired uh, big-time big P.T. Barnum, this was not. Yes. So um, I think any of these guys can really take it, but I'm, I'm going to be rooting for Paul, but probably uh, sad that Mark Ruffalo and his twin brother win. Um, all right, so why don't we just jump to 
the uh, best or I guess outstanding uh, limited series and uh, movie. Um, I guess it's outstanding limited series only mm-hmm. here. We have Little Fires Everywhere from Hulu. We have Mrs. America from FX, Unbelievable from Netflix, Unorthodox from Netflix, and Watchmen on HBO. What do you got? Yeah, just to correct your snafu there, it's strange that limited series and television movie are separate categories, but limited series and television movie acting is combined. Yeah. I don't know why that is. Um, Usually the movie... TV movie crop is lighter than limited series, which is a really competitive category at this point, but just kind of strange there. Um, yeah, I mean, what's that, what's that to me is just how many other limited series were not nominated, right? right? I mean, this, you went through the five, but that means there was no devs, no normal people, no outsider, no plot against America. A lot of well-liked, well-watched shows aren't here. But at the same point, I think the only show you can argue with is Little Fires Everywhere, which was not that well-liked if it was popular. Mm-hmm. The other four, Watchmen, Miss America, Unbelievable, Unorthodox, that's universal acclaim. So really competitive, but it's pretty obviously going to be Watchmen, the most nominated show of the night. Yep, I agree. I think this category is a walk for Watchmen. And honestly, I'm pumped about that. Watchmen yeah. rules. Like, probably one of the best. The more I think about it, probably one of the best series that's come out in the last. Oh, yeah half decade incredibly prescient well-timed show again 26 nominations for good reason uh it it was the rare ip reinvention that actually delivered on immense hype and pressure and that's the damon lindelof effect for for you right there yeah that that guy's pretty good huh i think (laughs) i like him um why don't we jump to some comedy dave you want to do supporting for limited series oh sure how about you lead off with that yeah, supporting actress is really cool to me because you have uh, Gene Smart from Watchmen, Holland Taylor from Hollywood, Tony Collette from Unbelievable, and then you have three people from Miss America, Uzo Aduba, Margot Martindale, and Tracy Ullman. Mm-hmm. Uh, another loaded category. Um, yeah. Holland Taylor sneaking in there for the non with Hollywood just shows how well nominated Hollywood was. I believe it's the second highest nominated limited series after Watchmen. So Netflix and Ryan Murphy, they can still campaign. Um, this is a tough one because I feel like those Miss America ladies in all likelihood will cancel them, yeah, cancel each other out. You know, you see this often with shows like Thrones when you have lots of nominations from the same show in the same category. So I don't have a good read on this one. You know, it could just be Gene Smart if Watchmen has a huge night, but I wouldn't be surprised if Colette wins as well. I think uh, I think Gene Smart feels like my my choice, uh, but you know, I I really feel like. It could be any of those Mrs. America people. Because if they don't take it here, is Mrs. America just going to get shut out? Like, Yeah, which would be a real shame. It would be. That's the thing. So I'm like, I feel like they got to get some love somewhere. I'm just not 100% sure, sure where, where they're going to get it. I guess out of those three, is there one that you think would rise above the rest? I, I believe Marco Martindale was previously nominated for Americans. Um, maybe a guest actor. Guest actress. Yeah. So. She might be the most popular, likely. I'd, I'd probably go with her. But I, again, you, you could pick any of them. And even Rose Byrne, it wasn't even nominated for the show, right? Like, they're, they're just loaded from a performance standpoint. Yeah, I, that, that's a good point. I think Martindale might be the one that I would go with. But I hope it's Gene Smart. Watchmen, I, th- I want to win as much as, as they can because it, it really deserves it. Um, yeah. 
I, I just really I, I keep going back and forth. So I'm like, there's no way Miss America doesn't get one. So I don't know. Well, so then we have a uh, supporting actor in a limited series movie. We have uh, Dylan McDermott in Hollywood, Jim Parsons in Hollywood, Titus Burgess for Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Kimmy versus the Reverend, Yaya Abdul Mateen the second for Watchmen, Giovanna Depo for Watchmen, and Louis Gossett Jr. for Watchmen. Yeah. A lot of Watchmen in this category. It feels right. like they're probably going to split some votes there. I know. I would love Yaya Abdul-Mateen. Me to too. too. Uh, that was a really impressive performance from an actor who had been around but not had a role nearly as memorable or up to his talents till that point, you know? Very yep. excited to see him later this year in Trial of Chicago 7. But, yeah, vote splitting. We just talked about it. it, it, it it's a thing. So... <laughs> What's that leave you with, right? Titus Burgess has been nominated a million times, but I feel like the Kimmy Schmidt wave is done, right? Dermot's here because is... of Hollywood. Right. And so is Parsons. I, I bristle at Parsons winning, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. Man, if he wins, I've, I'm going to have a lot of mixed feelings about that decision. Is Kimmy Schmidt done now? I, I don't even know. I don't it's really done. follow the show. Yeah, yeah. it's done. Uh, this might be the year that they might give it to... Titus Burgess for almost like his uh, uh, lifetime achievement award type thing, or you know, mm, I guess it, you know, I, I guess the the Emmys don't really do that much, so right? Like, did uh, did Ham ever get his Madman Emmy? He did. He did win. He did. Been and yeah, and, and um, Reese, I guess, got his two. No, yeah. Reese didn't, or was it? No, yeah, Re- Reese did. Yeah, Reese didn't. Did. The carry didn't. I don't know. I, I, I'm going to go Titus in this category, but mm. I, I would like to see Yaya, I think. Me too. Um, all right. So you want to jump to comedy now? Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> all right. So let's let's pull that up. Um, hold on. Sorry. I think the thing, the interesting thing about comedy this year is I think it's wide open because there's no Fleabag, which dominated last year, of course, and also no Veep, which is done. So that means no Phoebe Waller-Bridge, no JLD, and of course those shows are not in series. So it, it's kind of interesting, right? You have what we do in the shadows and Insecure getting nominated for the first time. That you know, I think nominations that are universally uh, acclaimed, right? Everyone was really happy about that, right? Shadows getting in with its second season, Insecure finally getting in with its fourth season. So that's good stuff. But, totally agree. I'm I'm excited to see who kind of comes out of here, although. I feel like there are two shows that could have fairly big nights. And that would be The Good Place and Maisel. If, if mm. Maisel kind of keeps its its darling status with them, um, I can see them getting a lot of love. But supporting actress in a comedy series, let's start with Betty Gilpin from Glow, Darcy Corden, DRC Corden from uh, The Good Place, Yvonne Ward. Orgy from Insecure. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I was saying that correctly. Yep. Alex Borstein, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Uh, Marion Hinkle, also from Maisel. We got mm-hmm. Kate McKinnon and Cecily Strong and, and, and from SNL and then Annie Murphy on Schitt's Creek. Uh, do you think there's any chance Schitt's Creek just like runs the table? Yes. Yes. Really? Yes, I do. Schitt's Creek is tied for the fourth most nominations, second most in comedy after Maisel. I think it's very likely Schitt's Creek is done now. Really popular show. Canadian show, not from Netflix, but most people in the U.S. know it from Netflix. Mm-hmm. And that's another one of those, like, that, that's almost kind of an achievement uh, 
win, yeah. right? Because it's a show that was on for, I think, six or seven seasons. A lot of episodes. Took a long time to get any kind of mainstream recognition. Um, and here it is in a wide-open comedy field. I don't know if it would win all the acting stuff, but, I mean, who are you picking instead, right? I mean, Maren Hinkle getting a, her first nomination for Maisel could be a sign that Maisel's just going to come back and kind of be that new, like, comedy incumbent, you know, mm-hmm. the way uh, v- Veep was. Because, yeah. you know, two seasons, the first two seasons of Maisel were, you know, very won a lot. So, yeah. you know, I don't know. This is yeah. Cecily Strong's first nomination. I don't think Kate McKinnon's going to win, though. She won in the past. No. Um, you know who uh, is actually a dark horse for me is uh, D.R.C. Corden. You know, it, the thing is, the good place wrapping up. I think you could see it yeah. getting some surprise wins here, especially because D.R.C. Corden throughout the show was probably the most impressive um, playing uh, Janet, who was this like uh, being who could answer anything. And she had, there's episodes that she carries completely and just stands out for playing multiple different personalities and roles within it. It's, it just seems like if anyone's going to take it, it'll be her, but yeah, I'm I'm interested to see if this will really just be a shit's creep night. Annie Murphy might be uh, the one to kick it off too. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, and I, mean, I don't have a strong opinion on anyone. Any of these here, like, I feel like Alex Borstein winning for the third time would just kind of be boring, though. That's no yeah. shots at her. It's a really good performance, um, but it's kind of been the same performance, same beats the three seasons. Yep. So just would it would just be boring? So <laughs> Annie Murphy, maybe if the shit's creek wave is just really hot, you know, you can mm-hmm. see that. DRC Corn, that's another one too, because Good Place also a show that has hasn't won much of anything at the Emmys and it's now yeah. done. So and I'm really happy Yvonne Orgy's here. Um always really liked Betty Gilpin and Glow. Happy she's here too, but I don't think those are possible. Who's your final pick? I'll go with Annie Murphy. I think Shits Creek's gonna do big. Well, let's see if that continues in supporting actor. Uh, in a comedy series we have andre brower for brooklyn 99 william jackson harper for the good place alan arkin the comiskey method sterling k brown mazel tony shalhoub mazel Mahershal mm-hmm. ali for romney keenan thompson for snl and dan levy for schitt's creek i mean smart money would probably be on him right i think so <laughs> i think so you know it's kind of interesting right you have Mahershala. He's new to season two of Rami, perhaps nominated by default because he's Mahershala. He wins awards. People love him. Mm-hmm. I think Sterling K. Brown is almost even bigger, sh- like shoe and nom though, right? Like Sterling was, you know, briefly in Maisel, but it's like, I mean, that was like solid Sterling K. Brown, but the, he's also nominated later for This Is Us. And it's like, like I think they just kind of <laughs> threw that one in there, to be honest. Oh, now, yeah. the, uh, I think it, I'm just going to go with Dan Levy. I'm going to stick with it. Shit's Creek, big night. Give me a percentage that, uh, like, a, uh, that you think Keenan Thompson could get that Lifetime Achievement Award from SNL. Oh, that would be awesome, actually. I mean, I'd he for that. was on for like, what, like 10, 12 seasons, something like He's that? He's the longest tenured SNL cast member, right? I mean, and this was his last one. So if there's ever going to be a, uh, ever gonna be a time for him to get it, it's got to be now. But yeah, I think it's between, I think it's Levy for sure. Um, that'd be my, my strong bet. All right, we're going to jump to actress in a comedy series, starting with Christina Applegate from Dead to Me, Rachel Brosnahan from Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Linda Cardellini from Dead to Me, Catherine O'Hara, Shit's Creek, 
Issa Rae, Insecure, and Tracy Ellis Ross in Blackish. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about this one. Where are you leaning? Uh, Catherine O'Hara, Schitt's Creek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's the one that pops out to me, but I almost wonder if maybe this could be an Issa category, right? That would be sick. Year. I would love to see her win this. I, I think the uh, Dead to Me duo kind of cancels, cancels each other out. Like you said, mm-hmm. Rosnahan has won before. Yep. Nothing new from that performance. Um, so for me, it probably would be between those bottom three. And I, I think Tracy Ellis Ross has either been nominated a lot. She might have even won before. So um, She's been nominated a lot. Um, again, no Phoebe Waller-Bridge, no Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Rosnahan is the most recent winner nominated again. So. Uh, Maisel is the most nominated comedy, so it would be, in a sense, boring, but not unexpected if Maisel just gets right back up and wins wins some, some awards. So, you know, I mean, maybe a Shit's Creek full sweep, that's probably not super likely either, even if it's mm-hmm. going to do well. So, Issa winning, though, I mean, that would be awesome. Insecure doesn't have a whole lot of noms, but more than before, again, Yvonne Orgy, her first time mm-hmm. now. That'd be sick. I'd, I'd love to see that. Give me the Issa win. I'm going to call my shot here. Who, who are you going with? <laughs> Catherine O'Hara? I'll go with Brosnahan. Nice. Okay. Lead actor in a comedy series. We got Anthony Anderson for Blackish, Don Cheadle for Black Monday, Ted Danson, The Good Place. Man, these are some, well, some big name actors. I'm reading it through. Michael Douglas, The, the yeah. Kaminsky Method, Eugene Levy for Schitt's Creek, and Rami Youssef for Rami. Yeah. Now, Rami. Got a surprise win last year, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, I think that was at the Globes. That was not nominated last year. That's right. That wasn't the Globes. This is Anthony Anderson's sixth consecutive nomination for Blackish. I don't think he wins. No. Um, no. Notably, Bill Hader won last year, not nominated this year, because we haven't gotten that new season of Barry yet. Uh, Ted Danson has been nominated a million times, won twice long ago, has not won for The Good Place. Eugene Levy. Nominated last year for Shits Creek as well. I'm going Ted Danson, and I'll tell you why. I'd like to see that. The The Good Place is a, a show that has been, I think, under-awarded, but mm-hmm. beloved. And with it going off the air, I think we're going to see them getting a few more votes, especially because, well, Shits Creek also going off the air. My, yep. the, the whole argument is now, but, oh, man, I, I feel like it's probably between those two to me, though, Levy yeah, yeah. And, and Ted Danson. Um, are you going to go with Levy? I'll go with Levy. All right, I'm going Danson, so we're, we're kind of split there. And now for best comedy series, we have Curb, Your Enthusiasm, mm-hmm. Dead to Me, The Good Place, Insecure, The Kaminsky Method, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Shit's Creek, and What We Do in the Shadows. We have two HBO, two Netflix, an NBC, an Amazon Prime, an FX, and a Pop TV. Who takes it home? Precious Creek. Yeah, I think it's Shit's Creek. Um, Maisel, though, again, has more noms, technically. Would be yep. surprised. Good Place. I don't think Good Place has this. Would love what we do in the shadows, but yeah, at this point, we're say. just happy to be here. We're just yeah. happy to get nominated. Only took two seasons. That's awesome. Um, don't I mean don't I mean the only show that people I think can quibble with in this list is Kaminsky Method, which no one really cares about the rides for. All the other mm-hmm. ones are very well liked. So, and again, no flea bag, no beef. So, new new blood, we we think. 
But yeah, I think it should squeak. I think this is this is one of the safer ones. Maybe they don't win all the acting ones, but I think series it's probably should squeak. And it's a cool story if they do win. I agree. I think this is Shits Creek. Um, definitely going to be excited for them. Um, and maybe at some point I'll get around to watching it. Um, but yeah, put your money down on them if you want a, a safe bet. All right. Time to move on to the drama category. Supporting actress in a drama series. We have a lot of big little eyes here, which is notable because they've moved from the limited now just yeah. to Can't drama be limited series. with season two. You can't. So we have Laura Dern, big little eyes. Meryl Streep, Big Little Lies, cue the Meryl Streep screaming gifts and memes, Helena Bonham Carter, The Crown, Samira Wiley, The Handmaid's Tale, Fiona Shaw, Killing Eve, Julia Garner, Ozark, Sarah Snook, Succession, and Thandie Newton, Westworld. Ugh. It's, it's weird. As I read this category, for some reason, I'm just like, I don't really like any of these people all that much in these roles. Um, <laughs> Interesting. I guess maybe Laura Dern. I, and I will preface that with saying, I've only seen parts of Handmaid's Tale and The Crown I've never watched. So can't speak. Oh, and Ozark, obviously. But the ones I know, I'm like, I don't think any of these are deserving. So maybe we'll we'll get a Julia Garner win, I'm hoping. She did win last time. Maybe a, a second follow-up for Ozark. I don't know. Where, where are you going with this one? Yeah, it's a tough one, right? Because I think The Big Little Lies season two fizzled out, was not nearly as well-liked. I don't think the, they have any chance to win. Like the powerful, the power, the star power alone got Dern Street these knobs. I think that, that that's where it stops, right? And same with Killing Eve, right? Like just totally fizzling out as a show. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think Fiona Shaw's gotten spoilers. Same for Owen Comer. So, and, and Handmaid's Tale, another show that has kind mm-hmm. of fizzled out. So Samira Wiley, I don't, I don't think is likely. So I think it's down to Sarah Snook. Yeah. And Julia Gardner. Sarah Snook is my favorite here. Yeah, I want I want Snook to win. Succession's the most uh nominated drama tied with Ozark in that regard. So Garner or Snook, I'm definitely pulling for Snook and this was the best Snook season for the two seasons, right? It was, it was she was really great. Shiv she, great Shiv season. Great Shiv season. Uh I retract everything I said because I I love Sarah Snook in Succession. I hope she takes <laughs> it home. So, uh forgive me Sarah if you're listening. Um, supporting actor in a drama series, though, we have Giancarlo Esposito for Better Call Saul, Bradley Whitford, The Handmaid's Tale, Billy Crudup, The Morning Show, Mark Duplass, The Morning Show, Nick- Nicholas Braun, Succession, Kiernan Culkin, Succession, Matthew McFadden in Succession, yep. and Jeffrey Wright in West, West, uh, Westworld. Boy, so many successions, you just have to think they're probably going to split. Although, right. n- shout out Nicholas Braun being put in the same category <laughs> as those two. Crazy pull for Nick Braun, HBO, really getting it done there. That, that, that's an yeah. unexpected nomination, but a just one because... Uh, He's great. Four on the floor. If it is to be said, so it is. <laughs> uh, love to see that. You also have two morning show nominations. The morning show in general, we'll talk about it in a, in a little bit more too. Like A show that got a mixed reception, but had a lot of star power, and it seems that part at least paid off for it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Esposito, we'll, we'll talk about more about Saul in a second because Esposito being the one acting nomination for Saul, no Reese Horn, Odenkirk suddenly not nominated. Esposito being nominated though just reeks of laziness, not paying attention. Like if any, if you're gonna nominate anyone for supporting actor in Saul, it's not Jonathan Banks or J- Esposito, it's fucking Tony Dalton. 
yeah. who stole the whole season. The whole season. But it just feels like Saul was completely overlooked. It got less directing Re- nominations that didn't pass. Like, is like insane. literally criminal. Criminal that she's it not is nominated. That uh, that's by far the bit. My biggest complaint is that Saul just got completely shafted this time around, and that's coming off its best season. Also, uh, I have not seen the morning show. All I've heard is it not getting great reviews. A lot of places. Beautiful mess. So you can't you can't take. Uh, Mark Duplass's nomination away and give it to Tony Dalton. Come on. Um, but anyways, where are you going with this one? What do you got? Yeah, I mean, I, I would love Matthew McFadden or Kieran Culkin to win. Yeah. And I, I think I think actually, I think it's still possible. I, I think Culkin wins. I could but see that. I'd be happy with either one. I could awesome. see Culkin winning. Um, I, think, I think maybe a dark horse here could be um, – Bradley Whitford for Handmaids. He's he's really good in that show from all the scenes I've seen with him. I obviously haven't followed the whole thing, but um, he, he's a name that I feel like is gets a lot of love. So I, I could see him maybe pulling a dark horse win, but I think it's probably between someone in, in the succession world, probably Culkin. Um, all right, moving on to lead actress in a drama series. We have Jennifer Aniston for That Beautiful Mess, The Morning Show, Olivia <laughs> Coleman, The Crown, our girl, Jodie Cummer. Killing Eve, Laura Linney, Ozark, Sandra Oh, Killing Eve, and Zendaya, Euphoria. I'm just going to take away the Killing Eve people because uh, yeah. if they win, I'm going to be really disappointed. We um, were stoked that Comer won last year because it's a great performance, but that's it. Nope, show's not good it. enough to warrant this anymore. Exactly. Um, so the crown is always interesting here, right? Because Olivia Coleman, awards darling, uh, amazing actress, Queen and Elizabeth for, awards darling Claire Foy won I think right. in season one and and the thing is like uh if there's a show and an actress that that could take this category I would say it's her I would love 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 to see Zendaya get this oh, win yeah. I don't think sick. she's going to happy about the um, mom though very happy about that so I would probably put this down to Laura Linney and, and Olivia Coleman would be yeah. my my smart money where are you at you know Aniston being here I think she's in the mix because it's Jennifer Aniston's return to the TV. I just want to throw that out there. Maybe. But but yeah, I think it's probably Laura Linney. Again, Ozark, tie of succession for most drama nominations. Uh, she's, I think, the most consistently heralded part of Ozark, even though Garner had previously won in acting. So I think that one's pretty safe. But th- this is an interesting one, right? Because you have a, the incumbent winner in Comer, a megastar in Aniston, an awards darling in Coleman, and then the presumptive favorite in Laura Linney. And then yeah. a, a, a ascendant television superstar in Zendaya and a TV legend in Sandra Oh. It's kind of yeah. a crazy category. The category is stacked, for sure. Um, but yeah, uh, I think as, as I narrowed it down, probably Linney, maybe Coleman. That, that'd be where I put it. But like you said, Aniston's there. She's she's in the mix. Um, all right, lead actor in a drama series. We got Jason Bateman for Ozark, Shirley K. Brown for This Is Us, Steve Carell, The Morning Show, Brian Cox, Succession, Billy Porter for Pose, and Jeremy Strong, Succession. Last year, Billy Porter, I believe, brought this home. Which, yeah, he did. Surprise win. What a win. What a moment that was. Um, however, I think this is going to Succession this year. What do you think? I do as well. Jeremy Strong win. 
Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, Bateman, though, I think Bateman's right there, given the Ozark love. And Bateman, of course, also is a big part of the production direction of Ozark. So I think people really appreciate what he does for that show. And it's another category, right? You have Sterling K. Brown, who's won Emmys before for This Is Us. Billy Porter, the guy who won last year. And Steve Carell, another TV legend, who also actually never won as Michael Scott. So you can talk yourself into almost all of these. But yeah, I think it's Jeremy Strong. I feel like this has to be uh, smart money on succession here. But drama series, we got Better Call Saul from AFC, The Crown, Netflix, The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu, Killing Eve for BBC America, The Mandalorian, Disney+, Plus, Ozark, Netflix, Stranger Things, on Netflix, and Succession on HBO. I mean, some good shows in here, but this mm-hmm. is Succession, right? I think it's pretty clearly Succession again. Game of Thrones, no longer here to win. Um, Stranger Things comes back. Mandalorian, surprise nomination for Disney+. Plus. Did not expect yeah. all that. Uh, love the show. I didn't have it in my top top echelon last year, but um, I, I don't have a problem with awarding different kinds of things. Right? You have Stranger Things, you have Ozark, you have Mando, you have Saw. You kind Mando. of search a lot of masters with these, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the weakest probably, probably Killing Eve, right? Stranger, Stranger Things Season 3, not my favorite, but I think Stranger Things is just more effective nowadays than it is Killing Eve. You nominate Killing Eve for acting still, but to have it in drama, I find that challenging. Um, <laughs> at least Westworld's not here. That's hey, there's some, there's some could always be worse. Some small victories and some big victories. I think Succession's going to get a lot of big victories. Now you can follow along with us at Nostalgia Pod. I'm sure we'll be tweeting out some some thoughts, some reactions as we go along. If there's anything noteworthy, so give us a follow there, um, Dave. Any last thoughts or any any, predict, any predictions you want to throw out there for these Emmys? Virtual, right? Uh-huh. Kimmelback. Um, kind of weird. You know, this will be our first major award show. Apologies to the VMAs, but like a first major award show. And I just TV in general has been getting away from the Emmys in terms of like the Emmy calendar. It's kind of ancient fossil at this point, right? In terms of the way we consume TV year round, and you know, I, a lot of the most popular stuff, <laughs> the most engaged with stuff on those new like Nielsen streaming ratings is all reruns of already existing shows like The Office and Avatar: The Last Airbender, right? So it's like the Emmys and the shows are nominated for the Emmys. Usually we like most of what they, they nominate, even if the winners we quibble with, right? Like usually we agree with that, but TV is such a wide stretch medium that only so many people are even plugged into the shows that are being nominated right now. Right. So I'm, I'm just curious to see what kind of engagement this does, right? We already know ratings will be down. Live event ratings continue to decrease. That's just how television works. But I'm just curious to see what kind of conversation we get out of this because it's a unique time in an already fastly evolving thing that is the television award show. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see the political, whatever comes out politically from this because you know um, with the election, like I said, only two months away, um, this is going to be a very... uh, uh, a very big platform for a lot of these people to be pushing their ideas. And um, I think we could see then some, some fireworks on Twitter after the fact, probably sure. from 
someone in the White House. So uh, definitely going to be interesting. I'm sure Jimmy Kimmel will be taking some shots as he's been known to go at the president. And uh, it's going to be an interesting night. So tune in. Send us your thoughts at Nostalgia Pod. Anything else, Dave, you want to get out? Uh, some stuff coming up for next week. We'll obviously be reacting to the Emmys and talking about who won and who didn't. Uh, also got the debut album from my guy, Lil Tecca, Virgo World, coming out. Looking forward to that. And then two movies. Get the Devil All the Time on Netflix, I believe, Wednesday this week with Tom Holland and Robert Pattinson from Antonio yeah. Campos. So that's enough to get me to watch. And then on a uh, VOD on streaming from IFC, we have The Nest, which is a very well-liked movie starring Jude Law and Carrie Coon. So I'm with that. I'm with it. YouTube.com slash nostalgia pod, soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod, nostalgia on iTunes, and give us that five star rating review at nostalgia pod on Twitter. Wear a mask. Peace out. <laughs> <laughs>